0: You are listening to KSFLLP Portland Radio Project, and Sounds of PDX. I am Veronica Pazesti, and I'm here to bring you another local artist drop-in session. No No Boy is an immersive multimedia work blending original folk songs, storytelling, and projected archival images, all in service of illuminating hidden American histories. A music and multimedia project that combines vivid narrative storytelling with Asian American history. Taking inspiration from his own family's history and joining me today on PRP is songwriter and scholar Julian Sapariti. Hey!
1: Hey, Veronica, happy to be here with you.
0: Very, very happy to have you with us. This is going to be a wonderful conversation. I know it. We've got a couple tunes from your latest release, 1975, to listen to. Before we do, can you give our PRP listeners a brief glimpse into No No Boy? This was not your first musical endeavor, but how did doctoral studies morph into this multimedia (laughs) project?
1: Yeah, I mean, so... As you mentioned, I I I was a, I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee, so I was around music all the time. My dad was in the music industry, so it came very naturally, you know, like the way a I don't know a, a cobbler's kid might make shoes or something like sure. that. Sure, It wasn't out of the ordinary to just follow music as a pa- pathway through life. Um, so I went to music college and then was in an indie rock band. I was very lucky; got signed one of those like bigger in England or Europe bands than America. Cool experience and got really burnt out, and eventually. Um, went off to to, to read books um, and went to some graduate programs. Uh, kept doing that. kind of got sucked in. I really like learning, I realized, even though I'd spent a lot of time as a youth as a musician. And so I ended up getting a PhD, studying all these stories that um, were really important to me because, as you mentioned, I grew up as a Vietnamese person, Asian American, if you will, in Nashville, Tennessee, which was sort of a uh interesting, interesting um yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. interesting w- way to look, especially back then in the in the 90s when I was a little kid um, and got some flack for it um, yeah. and stuff like that people were more ignorant back then and um, so I tried to just hide that I tried to like lean into the white side but I don't I don't appear very white so that was difficult but basically that meant denial of self, which mm-hmm. I think a lot of mixed people can relate to or a lot of people who are from quote unquote marginalized backgrounds so. What was really nice about doing grad school in these different places, Wyoming and then Brown University, was that I was finally studying stories about people who kind of looked like me, who had also um, inherited these faces in these in these places and lands in the United States where people didn't really know what to make of them. So uh-huh. when I was living in Wyoming, for instance, um, I went up to this... Uh, Japanese internment camp called Heart Mountain, which my teachers had told me about. And I was just so struck by these stories of people who had been rounded up, um, you know, tens of thousands of people rounded up from the West Coast, put into these internment camps during World War II, all because they were Japanese. You're talking little kids, you're talking like orphans sometimes, like just hysterical um, war, uh, wartime, like atrocity of civil rights. And there was also these places in Wyoming like. Uh, Rock Springs, where in 1885 there was this horrible Chinese massacre uh, Where where upwards of 30 miners, Chinese miners, were just killed by a white mob And the entire Chinatown was razed to the ground And this was not an isolated incident out west uh, Amongst these railroad workers and miners And I learned about... Basically, people who kind of looked like me, again, I'm Vietnamese, it's a very distinct culture to Japanese or Chinese people, but mm-hmm. we're all kind of the same once we come across the Pacific due to sort of the gaze of uh, mostly white folk who kind of look at you all the same. And so, I don't know, I was so moved by these stories, and it also gave me a pathway through these um, historical moments of studying to ask my own family questions, my uh-huh. Vietnamese family, which is is really difficult, um, coming from a culture that was just split in half by a war back yeah. in the sixties and seventies. I had family members that were, were just brutally killed during that war. Stuff that you know you don't want to talk about. You know, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, my mom's like uh, you know immigrated. She's a refugee or whatever, and you know that's the last thing that those folks you know really want to hash out, uh, hash out over and over and over. Right. But it gave me a pathway, you know, to learning. And then at some point, I was like, "Man, I want more people to learn about these stories about you know these Japanese internment camps or the Southeast Asian refugees or these uh, you know horrible immigration laws." But how do I do that? Yes. And I was at this like um, academic conference. I remember very vividly. I was like getting my PhD at that point, so I was in Providence, Rhode Island at Brown, and I was going to, I think it was like the the this national academic conference for ethnomusicologists. Um, it's very very erudite scene. Um so it was like a bunch of like uh you know, left leaning academics in one of those Hilton ballrooms eating finger foods and, and decrying the plight of marginalized people. A little right. ironic. Um but you know, a good hang. I like I like being around people like who dedicate their sandwich. life to scholarship. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um but I was looking out at the the audience for my panel and it was pretty good. It was like thirty people, which is like sold out for an academic.
0: Sure. Um
1: and uh I was thinking, man, when I was in a band, I used to play for 100 people a night easy, maybe sometimes like big giant festivals over in Europe. Yeah. And now I actually have something to say. Mm. Mm. Not long after that, I went home over a winter break, and I was just going through all these transcripts, all these oral histories i would recorded with people who had been in refugee camps, or, or like I said, the Japanese internment camps. And, and I just started typing out you know the the words that they were saying about these histories and these stories, and then I just had my guitar next to me, and I just started literally singing what they were saying into my ears, and 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 that's the Nono Boy Project. It's yeah. it's a way to not come at people with like a lecture or sort of like angry capital A activism, which I've been wont to do in the past in my life. It's like how, especially how do I teach people? You know, I don't know, like uh, secretly. You know, I've, I think I've called it a Trojan horse for for history before. These songs, how do you how do you write a whole history lesson into a song? I mean, people have done it before. That's what Homer did with the Odyssey. That's what a lot of the old folk songs are. You know, it's taking these topics, taking these very difficult conversations, and and just putting them out there without necessary political argument or anything. It's just how do I go to a red state bar, or how do I go to Eastern uh, Oregon and just play for a bunch of high schoolers? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, maybe those kids or the people at the bar aren't going to like folk music, but they'll like it a lot more than they will like an academic lecture. And they certainly won't read like my dissertation. Um, So ultimately, yeah, I wanted to turn my dissertation into an album and that's what happened. And, and now I get to share these songs with, with lots of people, which is, is cool. You know, Get to teach people a little history, which is never a bad thing.
0: Yeah, yes. Well, let's hear one of these songs. Uh, this is The Best Goddamn Band in Wyoming by No No Boy on Portland Radio Project.
2: The flyer red, musicians need it. So, young Yone grabbed the silver mouthpiece tracked down a kid who brought a trumpet to Pomona They only have it on a free two-year lease Joy Tara Oka ne went to the tryout, she was only sixteen with some girlfriends to her on that club was called the Roddells Mom said if you keep up with school, Joy, you can't sing Ojigawa, Oji Nisei, he tore up the coast and even played Japan. Before the war, they ripped up the floor in a ballroom and don't sleep on the shotoki ends. Under starlight, they danced behind barbed wire. Under the mountain it meant something to say. Stuck between two countries in a fire The best goddamn band in Wyoming Little Ted's best show Rept the Cardiacs gang The clarinet kid The Nisei Audie show Stopped by rehearsal In a tar paper bearing Once he joined up Sister, it was on They practice daily, kick on the weekend Stirring up those dusty mess halls Teenage bodies unchained from their parents And them old folks, they really lost it all The only swing band left in Wyoming that got him out some nights until dawn War bond drives and power moments dancing in loving. Bunch of japs playing jazz at the Thermopolis prom Under machine guns they dance behind barbed wire At below zero it meant something to sing Angelino's mixing up with farm kids in the choir The best goddamn band in Wyoming mm-hmm. Georgie Galway he split for Chicago with Kamiko in the fall of 44 He left the band to tents. Joy went with her family to D.C. As for Yoni, he had to join the war And that's a story from Old Hot Mountain I'm the best band you never did see Locked up in prison camps for no reason But they still found a reason to sing the best god band in Wyoming. The best goddamn band in Wyoming. The best god band in Wyoming. The best god damn band, band in
0: Wyoming. We're here on Sounds of PDX on PRP with local artist No No Boy Julian Sappariti. You Okay, so you touched on this earlier. You were giving us the background relative to No, no, boy. I, I, I want to talk about it. I, I want to talk about it a little bit more. 1975, your most recent release. Okay, 1975, the year, Saigon fell. 1942, your 2018 release, is that correct? Uh, it's all a blur,
1: but I th- around then, okay. yeah, for sure. So
0: 1942, pivotal year during World War II. Let's let that hang mm-hmm. there for a second. Both of these albums, this was magical, are accompanied by incredible liner notes, annotated lyric books, whatever you want to call it, that really set an emotional stage for each piece of music. But and, and you talked about this, providing of some background, some historical direction, but at the same time, you're you're almost literally telling people, go educate yourself. Why is that so important to, to your messaging? And why the simplicity of just naming these collections of songs, those poignant and pivotal years? Yeah, I'm not sure the
1: naming device is anything other than it's hard to come up with album title, something, oh. any musician. <laughs> okay. Can Fair enough. Refer to, um, yeah. I mean, obviously, those those numbers, those dates, mean a lot to me as a historian. Yes. So maybe it's a nod to just the historian who's writing these songs. But yeah, I I want to inspire people to take the method that I use, um, going through archives, going through primary sources, not just the news, not just what other people are telling them, but going back to the sources of these histories and reading them or listening to them or talking to elders for Mm themselves. And it's not really that I care too much about these specific histories. I I do. I think it's interesting. I like talking to people who also study this stuff. And as an Asian American, again, it does provide some context, which I sorely lacked growing up in Tennessee for who I am or at least what people who look like me uh, had to deal with back in the day. Mm -hmm. But. When I play these concerts and I share these songs, it's much more about sharing the method of doing a little research, asking your grandma if she's yeah. still alive, yeah. what her life was like. Because it's not just people who have been through these like capital T traumas. Everyone's lived an interesting life. If you stuck around for 80 years... I mean, got just some stories the amount to of change. Tell. Yes, the <laughs> amount of change that you've witnessed. Yes. I mean, my God, the amount of change that I've witnessed as a thirty-seven-year-old in the last, you know, couple decades uh, to humanity, to technology, to you know, borders being redrawn, uh, even in my lifetime, uh, yeah. in in sad and tragic ways. You know, everyone has a story to tell, and so it's more about. Getting people to think historically a little bit more than we are right now, mm-hmm. uh, and it's cool. It's cool if you learn if you never knew about, um, you know, the the boat people who left Vietnam after the war, or if you never learned about the Japanese internment camps. Uh, I really. Take great pride in, in people learning these important histories that have uh, shaped the, the last century and our country. Yes, but it's more about like thinking historically so we can do better now. Yes. I guess. Yes. Um, yes. And, and that's that's really the goal.
0: We're going to hear another tune from 1975, Imperial Twist, in just a sec. In listening to this album, I want to tell you that you did indeed do it right. I never would have known that majority of the percussion sounds were actually field recordings and not actual percussion instruments. Can you talk a a little bit about incorporating these sounds of history into your music?
1: When I go to my field sites, like... um... Traveling is a huge part of my research. So if I'm yes. studying one of these places, like the aforementioned different ki- kinds of camps that people were put in, or or where a massacre happened, um, I really need to go to the site and kind of walk around. Having done all that research beforehand, and just kind of imagining, you know, a lot of the work of the historian is just a, a product of historical imagination because we don't have a thousand percent of the documents or anything like that or the testimony. And so going to the land, what some smarter scholars and myself call land activation, that's really important. Like knowing the history as you're walking around um, is huge. And then as a musician and someone who's really interested in sound, not even just music, but sound itself, like waveforms, audio waveforms, I find it really interesting to take my field recorder with me and let's say there's an old barrack of a refugee camp um, or barbed wire from an old internment camp or or even more um, – kind of uh, contemporarily uh, going down to the Mexican border and going to some of these camps and, and ICE detention centers, I'll take my field recorder and sort of bang on whatever objects are around, mm. um, sometimes going to museums uh, and then banging more gently on some of their objects. And then, you know, my, 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 my label is called Folkways. And I, I thought about this when I was recording. I was like, well, what is, what is the folk way? I know it's a lot of like... Um, white people and dressing in funny old clothes and being very particular about what kind of like banjos and guitars they play. But the actual folk process of the last 40 years has been hip hop production. Mm-hmm. Like this is this is the folk music of, of my era. So I wanted to kind of be true to that without being appropriative, as I'm not a rapper um, outside of my own private space by any chance. <laughs> but I do love um, making beats. I love um, looping. I love all that kind of stuff. And I thought, wow, maybe I could use these field recordings but still put it in that kind of indie folk vernacular that I come from. And it, it warms my heart, Veronica, to hear you say that. You wouldn't have been able to tell that this no. is like sample-based recording. Um, so all of that kind of is is the modus operandi for the percussion. I mean, one might ask, like, if you can't tell that these are field recordings, what's the point? <laughs> right. But um, for me, again, that's like catering to the historian. Um, same reason I do the liner notes so in-depth. It's because when I was a kid... I was one of those people who a new Radiohead album would come out and I would just like study it religiously. Yeah. You know, the way some people did Beatles albums covers back in the days. Like I'd look for every little clue, every little illustration, every lyric. And I thought, man, if if 20 people do that with this album, that's that's 20 people who have the equivalency of like taking a, a years long like you know, history course. And that's pretty cool.
0: I think that those layers that make up the onion are are so important to carefully peel away. Not knowing that those were field recordings. Okay, sure. It still would be fabulous music in and of itself. But knowing that they are field recordings just it makes that layer that, that much more juicy.
1: Yeah. I also get tired of drums. Not uh, drummers. I like drummers a lot. But I, I feel like we all kind of use the exact same instruments um, in rock bands and stuff like that. I mean, with, with a lot of exceptions. But yeah. I have like, I don't know, like you talk to a lot of musicians. Uh, at this point in my life, I had to get away from just strumming the acoustic guitar. Like yeah. I can do that fine. I know, but I always get into the same traps, same chord progressions. And it's like, how do you stretch as a musician? And, and this is a great example of like go, coming from a diff- completely different source of inspiration, um, my academic work, my scholarly work. And then the musician in me turning that into something I would have never done previously.
0: Yeah. I I, I see this image of you, you know, banging carefully, dependent on where you are, that uh, yeah. fence or that piece of metal or, or that top of that bus or whatever that looks like. And the, the imagery in my head is the echoes that are happening. Those are the echoes mm-hmm. that you're hearing of the history behind that piece of, of metal or piece of wood.
1: Absolutely. I yeah. mean, I think there's The the label did some documentary that's been very helpful for showing this, and um, I think something I say in that is uh, uh, something I truly believe that we study history from a historian's point of view, and it's it's often without sound, it's often deaf, it's often muted, and for me, as someone who goes through the world um, with with my ears as my primary sensory devices, a listener, a musician. I just wanted to put some of the sound back into history. Yeah. Um, so whether that's recording people who lived through history and oral histories and maybe putting some of those voices or some of the ambient nature sounds of these places or the actual, you know, a lot of times like the physical manifestations of the oppression these people suffered, like barbed wire fences or, or gates or whatever, you know, making something beautiful out of all that history um, does a couple of things, but certainly I think helps unmute the history that we're studying and yes. again encourages people to think historically and maybe incorporate some of the stuff into their own music making or or art processes
0: all right well let's hear some of this you're listening to prp this is no no boy with imperial twist
2: i was pro-communist and mm-hmm. extremely pro-american because i really love a rock and roll <laughs> Give the world a twist Just by doing the twist roll rolling stones fame is girls and don America provides
0: Thanks for tuning into PRP's Sounds of PDX with No-No Boy, Julian Sapariti. You got a show coming up November 9th, right, Show Bar?
1: Yes, Show Bar. At Revo- is it Revolution or Revolutionary Hall?
0: It's Revolution Hall.
1: Okay, yeah, Show Bar. It's a nice little venue at yeah. Revolution Hall. Playing with my label mate, Jake Blunt. Love. Just put out a great album uh, on Smithsonian Folkways. And so we're going to kind of do a Folkways double bill. Should be great. Hopefully, it'll be packed and and fun and um, um, COVIDless.
0: But COVIDless. <laughs> no we like that. We like that. No, we like no that. promises these days. You've got another gig that you're doing before this though, up in Seattle, right? Yeah. So the okay. day
1: before, Jake and I are doing a show at Tractor Tavern. So okay. please tell anyone you know up in Seattle, or if you happen to be in Seattle, come out. And uh, yeah, you'll get to see what the album lacks is the multimedia part where I take all these archival visuals from my doctoral research and I I sort of sync them up to the lyrics of different songs to sort of give um, you know, a depth, a depth to not only just singing some folk songs, but kind of, uh, images from these places that I sing about.
0: Oh, this is, so this is going to be a, a a sensory, maybe not overload, but a a, a full sensory experience.
1: It can be. You're also welcome to close your eyes or, or cover your ears if you're more of just a silent movie kind of person, but either way, there's something for you. If, uh, if you can stand 45 minutes of, of history, uh, disguise this folk music
0: they are important messages and they are beautifully conveyed messages you should be very proud of the Thank work you. that you've done and and the eyes that you are opening at the same time
1: thanks Veronica I appreciate that
0: We will actually have a blog post up on our website, which is prp.fm, and I will put links to both of your shows so that folks can grab tickets. I'll also make sure to include um, your links so people can learn more about you and your music and your, um, dare I say, mission. Because um, you're doing some wonderful, interesting, artistic work that's not only pleasing, but it it there's an intellectual component that we all need a little we all need to get a little smarter sometimes.
1: Well, I just think ask starting with asking your grandma questions if she's still around, that's the way to go, or your auntie or someone. you know, yeah. learn learn from the people who have made the mistakes before you. I think uh, we'd all be better off if we did that.
0: absolutely. Thank you so much, Julian for being on Sounds of PDX with me.
1: My absolute pleasure, Veronica. Nice talking to you.
0: It's been wonderful speaking with you. And thanks to all of you out there in listening land for tuning in to Portland Radio Project this Friday night for Sounds of PDX. I will see you soon.